All right. Um, I loved hearing Brianne. I like being part of a community of faith where I hear someone's voice and I know them. So Brianne prayed for Maxon Seward. Um, if you don't know the Sewards, John and Kristen, um, they were part of our community of faith for many years, and they moved um, maybe a year and a half or two years ago to Indianapolis. John took a job out there, but um, they've had, uh, well, I should say, they're the first couple um, people to meet at New Denver Church, and as we're celebrating, you know, things over the last 10 years, they met at New Denver and um, got engaged in New Denver and got married here in our building. They're the first couples to do that, so that's pretty awesome. Um, and they've had, they have two kids. One is Bexley. She's a, a little under three years old. And then um, uh, Maxon, who goes by Max, I call him uh, Mighty Max, or they call him Mighty Max. I call him um, Big Max, but anyway. Um, Big Max is about seven or eight months old, and um, uh, he was born with this, they knew before he was gonna be born, but he was born with this rare virus in his system or in his body called CMV. I won't try to do the medical uh, phraseology because you wouldn't want that. Uh, but he was born with CMV. And um, from the onset of his birth, he was in the ICU or the NICU, you know, and um, it, 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 oftentimes your body can fight that off, but his body wasn't able to fight that off. And so uh, he was able to go home for a couple of months and be with them, but then um, his body was just really struggling. And so they, uh, his liver was kind of failing. So um, fortunately, we live in 2019, and um, liver transplants are a thing. <laughs> so um, uh, Max had a liver transplant about three or four weeks ago, and he's doing okay. He's, in, he's healing. He's improving, but um, he's still in the NICU. They thought he would get released, but he hasn't been quite released yet. Um, but I share that because uh, Seward, John, um, we all call him Seward, um, and I are huge football fans, and he's a Colts fan. Um, and uh, if you, if you followed football uh, in the preseason this year, you know that Andrew Luck was their franchise quarterback. He went to Stanford. He's dealt with injuries a lot throughout his career. And right at the end of the preseason, he just decided to retire. And he's young, and it was sudden, and they didn't see it come in. And it was, it was kind of a shock to most of us. Half of us were like, well, I get it. He's human. And he said, man, I'm hurt again. It's taking a toll on my body. It's taking a toll on my mind. He's married, having a kid. Like, we get it. But there's the other half of us that were frustrated and like, but you just quit like a couple of weeks before the season and you're our franchise quarterback. And so <clears throat> there were a ton of people that were up in arms and on social media saying like, you know, whatever you say when you're upset about some guy quitting football that you've never <laughs> met. But um, they... Uh, <laughs> Season ticket holders were up in arms because, like, this we bought tickets because of Andrew Luck and all that. And so there was one of his old offensive linemen, and I don't remember his name, but he left Indy and went, and now he's O lineman in Jacksonville. And he tweeted out, and he was like, "Hey, for any of you season ticket holders who are mad that Andrew Luck retired, I will buy your season tickets and I will donate them to Riley's Children's Hospital." And that's where uh, Max is is staying, living, and had his procedures done. And so. Um, uh, Seward and I were texting back and forth, and I, I sent them the article. I was like, how awesome is this? And uh, Riley Children's Hospital had already given the Seward's tickets to go see a uh, Colts game, so it was really neat. And I was like, man, I wish I was rich, and I wish I was famous. I would do this sort of stuff all the time. And um, then I was like, well, I don't know if I would if I were rich or famous. <laughs> but then in the middle of our text, I'm like, ah. God is such a buzzkill, <laughs> because he kind of impressed on me, like, wait, hold on. Like, you're waiting to be rich and famous someday to do these really cool things, like buy tickets, and, that, you know, that's probably outside the scope of what I could do, but he reminded me, God reminded me, like, you are already really, really rich, 
especially compared to most people in this world. And let's be honest, you'll never be famous, so get past that. <laughs> but what's stopping you from doing this right now? And I texted her, I was like, dude, God's such a buzzkill. And he's like, ha ha, you know, we joked about it. Like, okay, God, what's next? You're going to ask us to give money away, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, it was a funny moment because I recognized in that moment that God was calling me, and I think maybe some of us who are waiting for a time to be more convenient or for us to have more money or a bigger platform or for our kids to be older, to be able to do cool things, to be able to serve other people. And I think God would say, quit waiting, get after it. So Norton mentioned that we're in the middle of a sermon series called NDC Turns 10. We're celebrating in two weeks our 10th birthday. It's going to be great. Um, but in the middle of that sermon series, Stephen, we kind of have a short sermon series that's three weeks. If you think of like, what is a sermon series? I remember when I started coming back to church, I'm like, they keep talking about sermon series. What is it? It's like one big sermon, but because you guys have a life and you don't want to be in church for like seven hours on a Sunday, we break those up. And so we have like a six-part sermon series that's called NDC Turns 10. And then Stephen kicked one off last week where we're going to be looking at the vision of New Denver Church. And it's like a three-part sermon, uh, but broken into three weeks. Stephen talked about new lives. I get the opportunity to talk about New Denver. And then Norton next week is going to talk about the portion of our vision that is called New World. One of the things that stood out to me, um, and I'm... I'm, I'm cautious because I don't want to give Stephen a big head here, but uh, there were several things that stood out in his sermon last week that I jotted down and I wrote down. And one of, the, one of them was pretty basic, but like, I don't know, it just really stood out to me, is that in the heart or the foundation of our vision of new lives, new Denver, new world, is this idea of joining God in the transformation of our lives, of our city and of the world. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, is joining God in the transformation of our beautiful city. A couple of quick caveats right off the front, I want to say. Uh, one is that I don't know all of you, and I don't know what your relationship is with Jesus. And so if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, first of all, I'm glad you're here, and uh, please keep coming back. We love, I'd love to meet you, or anyone here would love to meet you. Um, but I think before you run out and leave, because uh, uh, we're going to talk about the city and Jesus and things like that, I think this message is applicable to anyone, no matter what your relationship is with Jesus. Because who doesn't want a better Denver, right? We live in an amazing, beautiful city. And so we can all get on the same page, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, and say like, yes, we want a better Denver. So I'm glad you're here. But the second caveat I want to say is that um, one of the ways that we look at New Denver is through the lens of our core values. Stephen spent some time going through our five values. This, see, I'm giving him a big head. Uh, going through our five values last week. And one of the, one of the values that I w obviously is an is a, um, important one to look at, framework for today, is our value of mission. So we'll put it up on the screen. This is New Denver Church's uh, definition of mission at NDC. God's mission for renewing and restoring our world takes place when we share his love with others. Specifically, we are called to share the love of Jesus in word and deed with those in our spheres of influence, with the poor and marginalized in our city, and with those around the world who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Speaking of sermon series, this is like a nine-part sermon series. If we wanted to talk and unpack this whole thing, we don't have time for that this morning. So I'm just going to focus on one piece, one sliver of this, this value of mission. It's this, uh, we are called to share the love of Jesus in word and deed with those in our sphere of influence, with the poor and marginalized in our city. 
We're not gonna spend time talking about sharing in word the love of Jesus. I love talking about Jesus. I'll talk about Jesus with anyone at any time. I love it. I think we should all do it, but you're off the hook today in that regard. What we're gonna talk about is this idea of um, sharing indeed the love of Jesus. And so um, Norton will come back and talk about the rest of our mission value next week. Um, so make sure you're back, but uh, come back next week. But um, today we're going to be talking about serving our city and joining God in the transformation of it. So I want to talk a little bit as a foundation about why we believe, and oh, I should have added this in a caveat, a third. I thought of it this morning, but I forgot to put it in my notes, um, is that I'm not a founding pastor, okay? So Norton Stephen, you guys have met them, and then uh, guy Jason Malik, who will be back in a couple of weeks, and he'll be talking. We're the founding pastors. They started getting together about 11 and a half, 12 years ago to this idea. They all worked together in Atlanta about moving to Denver and starting a church here, and I came in. I've been, a, I've been working here for nine years, so uh, not a founding pastor, been here, been here a while, but um, at the core and the kind of reason that we want to be a church that's for Denver, um, a lot of those thoughts came from a, a big pastor and writer and theologian named Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City. He's written many books, uh, and we may not, I may not totally agree with Keller and see eye to eye with him on some of the theology that he uh, believes in, but uh, his work on cities and the church's responses to cities was foundational then, and it is still today for New Denver Church. So Keller has um, really said that there are four types of churches that engage the city. The first type of church is a church that is simply in the city. And we'll put this up on the screen for you. They're just uh, churches that are in the city. They may own a building. They may rent a building. They typically have some sort of worship expression together. Maybe it's on a Sunday and they have programs. They might even like watch the kids and maybe have small groups. And in general, they're usually pretty good churches, but they're just defined as being in the city. If they, for whatever reason, close down and shut the doors, not many people would notice. Not many people would be affected. Churches in the city. Um, another category, and fortunately, these churches aren't as popular anymore, but they certainly still exist. These are churches Keller describes as being against the city. These are churches that, you know, they probably have a building, and, but they really don't um, want anything to do with the things outside the four walls of the church. They're against the city. They're, you know, metaphorically up on a hill and they have these, like I mentioned, walls that they've built around their church and they're looking down with disdain on the city and, you know, they don't want to get near the city because it's evil and, uh, you know, they don't want to watch TV shows or they don't want to, they may not even own TVs because TVs are evil and uh, they don't listen to music that's not, you know, worship music and they don't read books like Harry Potter because there's sorcery and evilness in there. Um, those are churches that are against the city. The next uh, category is the exact opposite, and these are churches that are with the city. These are churches that honestly don't look much different than the culture that surrounds them. They're not making sacrifices to live out their relationship with Jesus. Uh, they... Uh, when they're with the city, they're watching TV shows like The Bachelor. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Emily Schultz isn't here. Emily's one of our pastors, and she loves The Bachelor. We're like, dude, you are with the city, Emily. <laughs> 
They bend so far to try to be cool and relevant and be with the city that they lose the ability to share the love of Jesus with other people. They blend in too much. As a church and as people, as individuals, they just partake in things that aren't honoring to God, whether it's recreationally or maybe they have jobs that aren't honoring to God. They gossip about other kids in school, in the locker room. They, as I said, watch TV shows that aren't God-honoring. They cheer for the Dodgers. I wrote that. <laughs> I also saw a Packers jersey, a Chiefs shirt, and a Cardinals hat in here. <laughs> like, the world is happening to our church. You're welcome here, too. <laughs> churches that are with the city. The final category is churches, and this is what our hope is at New Denver Church, is to be a church that is for the city. These are churches that hold tight and fast to the love and the message of Jesus. And they want the love of Jesus to interact, to be married to, with, and in every part of the city. We don't want to, at New Denver, just be a church that's in the city. Although, if I could be really honest, I think this is one of the areas that we, and I'm preaching to myself here, but all of us here at New Denver could grow in. I think there are times where we're simply in the city. If we shut the doors, would people know? I don't know. I think at our best, really honestly, I think most of the time over the last 10 years, we've been a, a church for the city, but our, one of our biggest challenges in ways that I think God can grow us in the next decade is to not just be a church that's in the city, but be a church that's for the city, that's for the common good of all people here in our city. The foundation of this heart to be a church for the city is found throughout scripture. Uh, but again, because we only have three hours this morning, uh, I'll just focus on one portion of scripture, and that's going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29. The, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll put the passages up on the screen. There's black Bibles in the seats in front of you. We're on page 545 of those Bibles. Uh, and if you're on your phone, I'll assume you're on a Bible app, not following your fantasy football team. A little bit of context here about what's going on in this portion of scripture is the people of Israel, Israel the Israelites, have been taken into captive. They have, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has taken captive the people of Israel and he's moved them from Jerusalem. He's sacked the city of Jerusalem and he's brought them to this far off, this far off pagan and not God honoring city called Babylon. So that's where they find themselves. And this is what it says Jeremiah 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So many of God's people here aren't in Jerusalem anymore. Nebuchadnezzar has taken them, he's taken them from the Holy Land and he's brought them into Babylon. And I can imagine, and it's not a far off imagination to think, man, they're in their hometown. They're forcefully against their will, taken from there to another city. To put it lightly, they're probably a little frustrated. They're probably a little bummed out, right? They're probably looking a bit negatively on their own situation. And I imagine that many of them are thinking to themselves like, man, this is so unfair and this is awful, but uh, here's what we got to do. 
we as the followers, we'll just call them Christians and let's not talk about that. That's for another day. But let's just say the followers of Jesus or God, uh, the Christians, uh, maybe they, you know, they're in Babylon. Maybe they're thinking like, okay, let's team up and let's be against those people, the people that took us into captivity. I mean, who would blame them, right? They were forced against their will from one portion, their homeland, their holy land, to another area. I would think it would be reasonable to be okay and justified to be against the leaders in the city that they're in. There were probably others, the super Christians, who were a little more godly, and they were probably thinking things like, well, we know we can't be against the city because, after all, we represent God and we're good Christians, so we're just going to be in the city. We're just going to lay low. We're going to keep our heads down, do our prayers, and you know, go to temple, and, and we'll mind our own business. We'll just be invisible to anyone else around them. Again, who would blame them if they chose that path? But God speaks through the prophet Isaiah to the people, and he calls them to take a radically different approach to the, their engagement with the city. Let's skip a couple verses and go to verse 4 says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Watch what he tells them to do here in verse five. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. He says, look, I don't want you to be against the city that's taking you captive. I don't want you to just grit your teeth, put your head down, and get through it. I don't want you to just be in the city, water it down, and pretend like you're not really followers of me. He says, I want you to go into the city, and I want you to engage the city in a positive way. He says, build houses there, plant gardens, eat, get married, have sons and daughters, give them away in marriage. And then he ends that part by saying, I don't want you to decrease in this city. I want you to increase. Pause right there for a second. That would have been radical enough, right? Remember, these people are captive in a foreign pagan land. And it would have been okay if God was just like, I just want you to kind of skate by until somewhere down the road you'll come back and you probably won't follow me then, but whatever, you know. Just settle down and give Caesar what's Caesar, but... God doesn't do that. And as I said earlier, I think um, if the verse ended here, it would describe me and maybe a lot of us here at New Denver. We're in the city. We're good people. At least most of us, most of the time, right? We build our houses. We plant gardens. We eat, some of us more than others. <laughs> uh, we get married. We have kids. Check the box, check the box, check the box. But that's not all God says to them. That's not all God says to us. He says something in the next verse. He's gonna tell them to take their engagement to, for this foreign and pagan city to a whole new level. Look what he says in, uh, back in verse, or no, yeah, next verse, verse seven. God says this. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God says, listen, listen, listen. 
We're not going to be against the city. We're not going to be in the city. We're not just going to build houses and have good lives and eat good food. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the city that has taken you captive, that has made you slaves, and I want you to go and I want you to pursue and go after the city's peace and prosperity. It's a bit radical. Now, the key to understanding what God is asking his people to do here is this phrase, the peace and prosperity of the city. You see, a little bit about the Old Testament. It was originally, well, it was originally passed down um, generation to generation um, orally through, uh, through words. But when it was written down, it was written into the language Hebrew. That's what the original Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Uh, and obviously, not many of us speak Hebrew. And so to make it approachable for other people, scholars throughout the ages have translated from Hebrew into English and Spanish and Chinese and a million different languages. Not quite a million, but a lot. And uh, one of which is English. And there are lots of different translations of the Bible. Here at New Denver, we read the NIV, the New uh, international version, and, uh, and, and the way that the scholars have chosen to um, translate that phrase or that word that I'll talk about in a second is peace and prosperity. There are other translations and other scholars who have defined that just as the peace or the welfare. But that word is a word uh, that has been defined as a word that many of us have, are probably familiar with. I, if we took a poll, I'd better be like 95% of us of us have heard this Hebrew word before. And the Hebrew word there is the word shalom. So God says, I want you to seek the shalom of the city. And I am not a scholar or a translator, so they haven't asked me. But one of the best ways that we could probably uh, define and translate this word is uh, the word shalom is the holistic flourishing or the universal flourishing. God tells those people, look, 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 this city, I know, it's rough. You're in a place you don't want to be in. And King Nebuchadnezzar, not the greatest leader, right? Uh, and they've taken you captive. But while you're there, I want you to seek the shalom or the universal, universal flourishing of the city. I want you to seek the flourishing, the prosperity, the peace of every single aspect of Babylon. He says, I want you to seek the holistic flourishing of not just the church and not just you as individuals, but I want you to seek the economic flourishing of the city that you're in. He wants them to seek the academic flourishing of the city they're in, the artistic flourishing. He says, I want you to seek after the racial flourishing of the city and the place that has taken you captive. He says, I want you to seek the social flourishing of these people who have taken you captive, the universal or holistic flourishing of the city that you're in. Do not decrease. Do not disappear. Do not be against. And fortunately, God tells us why. He tells them and he tells us why he wants us to seek the holistic flourishing of the city that we're in. Look back at verse seven. It says this, also seek the peace and prosperity, the holistic flourishing, the shalom of the city, to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it, the city, prospers, you too will prosper. He says, while you're there, I actually want you to pray for the city. Time for an honest question here, and you don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> um, 
When's the last time you prayed for the city of Denver? Or if you're visiting the city that you live in? I'm a pastor. I get paid. Like if I talked to Norton, my boss, and was like, hey, I need a week off to pray, he'd be like, uh, that's weird, first of all, but um, that's probably okay. Let's talk about that, right? Like I get paid to pray. <laughs> and uh, as I prepared this message this week, I was super convicted because I, I couldn't tell you the last time I prayed for the city of Denver. So I'm preaching to myself here. God says, I want you to pray for the city on my behalf. Why? Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. When the people are praying and seeking the holistic flourishing of the city that they're in, the holistic development and peace of the city, then you too will find peace. When you're a blessing to the pagan city that you're in, it's going to be a blessing, and you're praying, it will be a blessing to you as well. My hope and my prayer is that we together as individuals, as a community of faith, would seek with all of our being the holistic flourishing of the city of Denver, that we would pray wholeheartedly for the city of Denver, that we would be a blessing to the city, this amazing city that we live in. And this is one of the foundations of New Denver Church. You see, um, 11 and a half years, 12 years ago, when uh, the founding pastors were getting together down in Atlanta and thinking about New Denver, um, that's our name, by the way, uh, they were like, what should we call the church? And, and they didn't know. They, um, Norton said it's, it was like they were trying to name their first child. You know, like, think of if, you had to na- if you've named a child, how difficult that is. I know at least one of you had a formula spreadsheet with names in it. I won't point you out by name, but it's difficult, right? And so these guys, as they were thinking of the name of the church, they ha- I've seen the list. It was 62 names for New Denver Church. There was like, you know, the community church or something. And then there was like the cool, like, hip, like, illuminate or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) But we're not cool, obviously. Um, So we didn't name it illuminate. Uh, But Stephen, uh, again, (laughs) sorry, Stephen, Um, as they were, well, let me back up. Um, As they were uh, planning to move to Denver from Atlanta, they were raising some finances and they were casting vision about this church and uh, they needed a website because even 11 years ago, websites were a thing. And so um, they bought the domain newdenverchurch.com creative. And um, they, they were going through these lists and taking votes and polls, like trying to narrow down 62 names to one. And it was Stephen who was like, wait, what if we were New Denver Church? Like, sure, for two or three years, we would be a New Denver Church. But what if beyond that, we were a church that was for our city, that sought the holistic flourishing And we join God in the transformation of this amazing and incredible city. What if we called ourselves New Denver Church? And I imagine the lights like got bright and God himself came down and said, yes, that is the name. I don't think it was quite like that, but that's our hope, that we would be a church that seeks the holistic flourishing, that we join God in the transformation of Denver. Let me get really, really practical in the next few minutes as I wrap up. I want to give three challenges to each of us here today. Um, Maybe write these down. Um, Take a picture if you want. 
um, put it on your phone, but I really mean it. Like, I want these three challenges to be a part of our lives the next week and months and years and decades as we look forward at ministry here in Denver. The first is to seek the holistic flourishing of Denver. It's pretty easy, right? (laughs) All right, sermon over. (laughs) Um, And I generally, I mean, this is difficult, right? Um, If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. But I, I made this a challenge because I really want us to embrace this as a community of faith. And I don't know all of our stories. I don't know what keeps you up at night when you think about broken or hurting parts of Denver, but maybe for you, you need to join one of the amazing ministries in town that's seeking the holistic flourishing as it relates to race relations in Denver or relationships between the police officers and our brothers and sisters who may not have a great relationship with police officers. Or maybe for you, it's simply picking up a piece of litter every time you go on a walk. What is it for you that you feel like God is calling you to do to seek the holistic flourishing of Denver? Talk to a friend. Text someone this week. Talk to your spouse if you have one or a roommate or someone at school and tell them, like, I'm trying to figure out this holistic flourishing thing. Will you help me try to unpack this? And will you live out and try to seek the holistic flourishing of Denver? The next is to pray for Denver. I give this challenge to myself first, but also to each of us. So this week, as I was uh, preparing this message, I set a reminder on my phone. Three days a week, (laughs) uh, not even seven days a week, I gave myself a break. Three days a week, early in the morning, on my phone, pops up, pray for the city of Denver. And I invite you to do that. Maybe you're more spiritual and you're gonna pray for Denver every day of the week, awesome. Um, But maybe it's just one day a week this week. That's fine. Just some sort of way that we as a community of faith are praying for this amazing city that we get to call home. Pray for Denver. Pray for the holistic flourishing. Pray for the leaders. Pray for peace. Pray for reconciliation. Whatever it is that God puts on your heart, pray for the city of Denver. And the last one is that I want everyone to serve at the Joshua Station at least one time between now and the end of the year. If you're new to New Denver or if you haven't heard, we have, we have one local mission partner called the Joshua Station. And we've had different versions of mission and how we engage the city throughout the last 10 years. But for the last handful of years, we decided that we would join one local mission partner. And there's lots of reasons we joined it. Love to talk to you offline. But one local mission partner that we're going to send all of our people to all of our time, all of our talents, all of our resources. We just want to go deep with one missions organization here in Denver, and that's the Joshua Station. The Joshua Station, is down, they've been in Denver for about 25 years. They're down at like 8th and I-25 across from Mile High Stadium, and um, they are uh, tra- helping f- families transition out of homelessness. And so it's this converted motel. For the last 25 years, they've converted these motel rooms into apartment living spaces. And families that are transitioning out of homelessness, I've met single moms with kids. I've met, there's a family living there right now that's a single dad with kids. There's moms and dads with kids. But people transitioning out of homelessness get to live at the Joshua Station for two to three years. And during that two to three years, there are um, classes and structure, there's a community dinner, and and there's life lessons on like, here's how you balance a checkbook, and here's how you pay your bills, and here's how you find a doctor and healthcare, and all those things. And that's a two to three year process. And the Joshua Station walks alongside of them that whole time. It's an incredible ministry. And so even if you've served there already, I want you to serve there 
again. And I put the, uh, the email address up there because we hope that each discipleship group this semester is serving at the Joshua Station. But even if you're, if you're in a D group or you're not in a D group, I'd still encourage you, think of how you want to serve at the Joshua Station. One of the reasons that we chose to partner with Joshua Station is they are so approachable. You can email Heather at volunteers at, or volunteer at milehighmen.org and say, hey, I'm looking to serve. And she will tell you opportunities. Or maybe you say like, I am a carpenter. I want to build cabinets for your staff or for someone that's moving in. Or I want to paint the walls. Or I want to, they have an opportunity where you can flip a, uh, a housing unit. So when one family moves out, people come in and flip it. Many of the D groups here at New Denver have done that and prepare it for the next family moving in. Whatever you can dream of or not dream of, go pick weeds for all I care. Email Heather at volunteer at milehighmen.org. Those are the three challenges that I want us to embrace. But at the end of the day, these are just simple steps. What my hope and my prayer at the core of my being and our being as a community of faith is that we together would be a community of faith that joins God in the transformation, the holistic flourishing of our city, Denver. And that we would not be a church that's just in the city, but that we would be a church that is for the city. And if in 10, 15, 20, 400 years from now, New Denver Church doesn't exist anymore, people would notice. Because we're a church that at our core is for the city. We stand, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a song together. Heavenly Father, thank you that, uh, well, thank you that we have an opportunity to come alongside of you to seek the shalom or the holistic flourishing of this incredible city that we, many of us, get to call home. Help us this week to uh, wrestle with this idea of what it looks like to seek the holistic flourishing of our city. Help us to remember to pray for this beautiful city, its leaders, and its people. And help us carve out time not wait till we're rich and famous or whatever it is. Help us to carve out time to serve at the Joshua Station. We love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.